Every episode of the SSR podcast is an exciting one, of course, but today's is an especially big deal. Why, you ask? Because I feel like I'm finally giving the people what they want. The moment is here, listeners. We're going there. Episode 7 is all about Christie's Great Idea, also known as the first book in Anne M. Martin's beloved series, The Babysitter's Club. Say hello to your If you're a child of the 80s, 90s, or even the early aughts, the BSC needs little introduction, but here's a brief refresher. Before the famous Sex in the City and Girls foursomes, we had Christy, Marianne, Claudia, and Stacy. Here, in book one of the series, our narrator is Christy, a highly experienced babysitter who is navigating friendships and handling, or at least trying to handle, life in her family after her parents' divorce. Christy is unsure about her potential stepfather, Watson, and despite her generally good relationship with her mom and two brothers, she's kind of lashing out. Still, when her mom finds herself short on babysitters one afternoon, Christy is inspired to rally her friends to form a club that will solve that problem. And in that moment, a young entrepreneur and pop culture icon is born. Jessica Goodman joins me on this episode for full-on Nostalgia Palooza, and I think you'll agree that this is a really fun one. Jess is a senior editor at Cosmopolitan Magazine. You can follow her on Twitter at Jess Good or on Instagram at Jessica Goodman. If you want to follow along and join the conversation around the SSR podcast, be sure you're following us on social media too. You can find us at SSR Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. You can also like the SSR Podcast on Facebook and join the SSR Podcast community group if you want to chat about episodes in greater detail with other fans. Our SSR tribe is growing fast and only getting better, and I don't want you to be left behind. Double check that you're subscribed to the show, get comfy, and get ready to talk Babysitter's Club. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Jessica. Thanks so much for joining me on SSR. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you about Babysitter's Club. I know. It was very, very fun to read this again as a real person, as an adult, and not as like a 10-year-old. As a fully formed woman. I know. I have thoughts and feelings now more so than I did maybe when I was, you know, around the age of these girls. And it's very exciting to look back. (laughs) I agree. So let's talk about why you decided to read this book of all of the books that you could have chosen to talk about on SSR. Why was this your pick? Oh my gosh. I think a lot of young women around our age have very strong feelings about the Babysitter's Club. And I have to admit that as a kid, I definitely read a lot of Babysitter's Club. But to me, the show was way more impactful. And I watched it a lot because I was so obsessed with like the fashion on it. Did you watch it as a kid? I was trying to remember. I know I saw the movie because I was like looking at the trailers and and some of the clips from the show. I remember going to see the movie with my babysitter, which was a fun outing. And the fashion was great. I don't know how much I watched the show. Maybe here and there. It wasn't one of my standbys. Mm. So I watched it a ton and I was so enamored with these girls because they seemed so much older than me at the time, even though what I think they're like 12 in the book. Yeah. Um, Like 11 through 13. And I was just like, these are amazing, like older, cool girls. And I wish they were my babysitters and they're like best friends with each other. And um, I mean, they just seemed like the coolest girls in the world. And they were entrepreneurial and knew what they wanted and like were obsessed with more things than boys. And I wanted to just revisit and see like if I remembered stuff and what the writing was like now that, you know, I'm 28 and I can, you know, look at all that stuff with a different kind of perspective. Um, Yeah, I just wanted to see what the book was like. And did it match your expectations? What were those first few pages like? Did it feel like your memories of the show or was it like a completely different experience this time around? I think it was so fresh because I hadn't gone back to it in what, 20 years. The first few pages I was like, oh, right. This is what like middle grade books sound like, you know, like this is how the sentences are structured. And these are the kind of things that they, you know, talk about. Like I think the first couple pages are like Christy is in school and she's 
she's so excited to like get out of class when it's really hot in the classroom. And, you know, she has to like stay after with her teacher. And I was like, oh, right. This is like the kind of stuff that like young girls are really concerned about, like getting in trouble at school and like making sure that they, you know, are presenting themselves in ways that they feel proud of in front of their classmates. And she like, you know, stumbles over what the word decorum is. And I'm like, yes, this is also like a learning experience. Of course, this is put out by Scholastic. And it's like, we are trying to teach children things. I don't know. When was the last time you read a middle grade book? Well, recently I've been reading a lot of middle grade books. (laughs) So I might not be the best test case here, but I think Babysitter's Club is unique in that it reads as like sort of its own animal because it is this own world that like grew Mm -hmm. to include so many books. Mm -hmm. Obviously we read the first one in the series, but I do think that there's something like very distinct about this voice and about Christy as a narrator. So it felt different than a lot of the other middle grade that I've been reading lately in a refreshing way. Like it was obviously super easy to read. I liked the characters for the most part, which is refreshing because I've been reading a lot of middle grade lately where like I've hated a lot of the characters. So that was a plus. Something that made me laugh in the first few pages and and just kind of gave me a little bit of a throwback to reading books when I was a kid was like within two pages, they were talking about Christy flipping her long ponytail over her shoulder. And I highlighted it just because I feel like as a kid, that was somehow always the mark of the good girl in a book, the wholesome girl and the one that you wanted to be friends with. And and maybe that was just a sign of the times because I do feel like a lot of the other middle grade I've been reading recently it's not always the blonde long-haired girl who's the protagonist but in this book in particular like I remembered being a kid and sort of being able to figure out who I was supposed to be siding with by like markers like that which I thought was funny well, yeah, and, and then you get to, like, Stacy's introduction, and she's wearing some, like, super cool outfit, and I think she's blonde also, but um, they talk about her in a way that's like, oh, this is the cool girl who just moved here from New York. Like, obviously, you learn that she moved here from New York, but the way that they describe her is very much in line with, like, the tropes of what a cool, mature girl would be. Um, and same for Marianne, you know, she wears saddle shoes and plaid skirts and like, yeah, she's kind of nerdy. Like, that's what that means. She reminded me of um, Elizabeth in Sweet Valley High. Yes. Or, like, Sweet Valley kids. Yeah. I think the like comparison between this series and Sweet Valley is really interesting. One of the articles that I was reading to prep for our conversation was saying that if Sweet Valley High is like a soap opera, the Babysitter's Club is like growing pains. It's like a family sitcom. It's sort of like the cleaner, more wholesome version which I, I would say that's true. I, I'm hoping to get a chance to revisit Sweet Valley, but it's been a while since I got there. Oh my God, I love Sweet Valley. I read all of those books as a kid. But I mean, what surprised me the most was obviously all of these books like get at, you know, tough stuff or like the issues. But I totally forgot that like they all had really intense family drama that was very difficult to deal with. And, you know, Christy's dad left her when she was a little kid and they don't, she doesn't really dwell on like how much that pains her, but obviously it does. And that comes in into her relationship with her future stepdad. But it's the same thing. Like Marianne's mom died and Stacy, I thought they were going to reveal that she has an eating disorder because I forgot that she has diabetes. And like Claudia has all like a major inferiority complex with her sister. All of this stuff is so real. And I could just, it brought me back to like, oh right, middle grade books are really about like how to deal with issues because this is how so many young kids like learn how to actually deal with their feelings. Yeah, and learn through characters that are aspirational in a lot of ways. There are other kids that seem really cool and to have their act together and to be doing awesome things who are managing like the same issues that you as the reader are. So I think it's like an interesting window into like real issues. And I forgot, I think that that's how I perceived my world when I was a nerdy reading kid. Totally. For sure. So I think we should talk about each of the four girls because that's obviously the like core of this book. And I think it's funny to think about them now in 2018 as kind of the forerunners to like the sex in the city foursome or like the girls foursome. And um, I read a lot of articles that were like, are you, you know, in the same way that people are like, are you a Carrie? It's, are you a Marianne? Who are you? So I think we should talk more about each of them. I love that because I've also just been having a sex in the city marathon with all of my college friends. Um, and we, and we were like literally having the same discussion, like, who are you? And it's, I mean, you've had this discussion for like 20 years and it's the same with these girls and it's just like I feel like that every young woman has like had this kind of conversation with a different pop culture situation. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And I definitely haven't had it about the Babysitter's Club girls, at least not in a long time. So I think mm-hmm. we need to do that. And I think it'll be fun. So let's start with Christy because she's obviously like the central character here. Fun fact and something I didn't realize is that every book, they sort of like rotate perspectives. So there's a character's name in every title, I guess. And whoever is named in the title is the one who's telling the story. So this is Christy's big idea. It's about Christy primarily 
primarily and the fact that she's starting the Babysitter's Club. What are your impressions of Christy? Oh, Christy. Christy seems like a girl who just really wants to like do the right thing all the time. And she is super headstrong and she believes in what she is doing. She thinks she has good ideas. She thinks she's smart. She is determined and driven, but she's still learning how to be herself and how to deal with her emotions. And I think you see that a lot, like when she's dealing with her future stepfather, Watson, and when she like blows up at Stacy about lying to her about going to New York for the weekend. Um, and then even in those moments, she catches herself and she's like, I know what I said was bad. I know I did a bad thing and I feel bad. And here I am apologizing, but like, I really want the babysitter's club to work. And I just, I love that she's so driven and I feel definitely like connected to her in that way where she's like, I have an idea and I want to get from point A to point B and like, here's how I'll do it. You know, like she makes a advertising campaign. Yeah. And she's like 12 years old. She's so committed. She just like gets it. And I think I totally didn't understand as a kid that this kid is an entrepreneur. Like, I didn't know what that word meant, obviously, when I read these books. But reading them now, I'm like, Christy totally has it all down. Like, she knows exactly what has to happen. She makes, like, a business plan. She makes sure everybody has roles. Like, she figures out marketing. Like, you're so right. She she figures it all out. And I think the coolest thing about her was that she did exactly what entrepreneurs are supposed to do, which is that she saw a problem, which is that her mom couldn't find a babysitter for her brother at the last minute, and she figured out how to solve it. And that's the basic formula to starting a business. So I thought that was really cool. In my research about her, and I don't know if maybe this comes out more in other books, but for whatever it's worth, Wikipedia talks about how she's known for her like big mouth and being bossy, which is such a buzzword in a terrible way now. And I thought it was interesting that like, of all the words that some Wikipedia user would decide to peg to Christy, that bossiness was one of them. And obviously that's like so upsetting given how we all feel about bossy as a construct at this point in time. I think um, in, you know, in pop culture and, you know, media landscape right now, we talk about how you shouldn't say that like a 12 year old is bossy or a nine year old girl is bossy because it discourages her from speaking up and it discourages her from saying, you know, how she actually feels and trying to be a leader. So yeah, fuck the word bossy. Yeah, Uh, I agree. We're done with it. But all the attributes that are associated with that word, I think are a really good thing, especially when you're a 12 year old girl trying to start her own business. Yeah, she's the boss. She's not bossy. She handled all of this and she did it really well. The club at least one book in seems to be a success. So who cares if she's bossy? I agree. Fuck it. Okay. Next, Claudia. She is like the cool friend. Yes, she is definitely the cool friend. And you've got to have like an artsy friend. I feel like in every group, there needs to be somebody who's the artist. And that's Claudia. I remember as a kid thinking that she was really awesome. And I think maybe part of that was the movie. Like whatever actress portrayed her was beautiful and just carried the fashion really well. And in the book, hers was definitely the fashion that I was like most excited to read about. Me too, me too. Um, like she has like the skeleton earrings and like the really cool makeup. And I think she wears like lots of berets in the TV show. Yeah, she was like hat girl for sure. Yeah, hat girl. Um, but I also love that there was a point where Christy was like, we need someone who's artistic to make these signs. Claudia, you're so good at that. Like complimenting her and like acknowledging that her friend had this like awesome talent that she didn't. And she was like, you should do this. Like you're really good at this. And I feel like that's such like a special thing in young girls when they like recognize their friends talents I had you know friends at summer camp who were like known to be the best bubble letter makers on camp and would like get recruited to make all the posters and like that's such a great confidence boost for someone because they go through their lives and they're like yeah I'm like the artist of the crew or like this is my like specialty like I'm creative and that's really valuable I think I also thought it was really cool that it seemed like Claudia had grown apart from Christy and Marianne and it was really neat to see them come together because essentially what happened was Claudia had maybe gotten a little bit more interested in boys. She'd started wearing makeup, like all of the things that we experience as middle schoolers that like may have divided you from friends that you hung out with all the time when you were younger. I thought it was really neat that the book shows this arc of them like coming closer together over something constructive and fun instead of being pulled further apart. And the things that they argued about in the book had nothing to do with those differences that maybe you would have expected to see them fight about. Yes, this book 1000% passes the Bechdel test, which is very exciting. (laughs) I, I agree. And so I know what that is, but could you please Please do your official explanation of that for our listeners who might not know what that is. Oh, yeah. So the Bechdel test was created by Alison Bechdel, who um, is a graphic novelist. Um, she wrote the book Fun Home, which is amazing. And I think the, the rule basically states that if in your movie, your play, your book, 
you need to have at least two female characters. They need to have speaking roles and they need to talk to each other about something other than a man. That's it, right? Yeah, I think that's it. And then um, I read something else that this book clearly passes the Bechdel test and it also passes the more modern DuVernay test, which is sort of an equivalent for race, which I think this passes as well because Claudia, in addition to being cool and artsy and beautiful, is also Asian American. Um, So yeah, Claudia is great. I want to be friends with her. I think in a lot of ways she maybe is like the most aspirational character, at least superficially. I definitely loved reading about her when I was a kid. I agree, but I think that, I mean, she struggles with school so much too and to see her interact with her sister Janine and how, you know, Janine is like this genius who has an IQ of like 190 something and, you know, is already taking classes at the college and is always correcting Christie's grammar and like Christy and Marianne hate to be around her. That must be really challenging for Claudia because they make it clear that Claudia is a fine student, but she is not anywhere near average. And, you know, that that is probably something that gets explored so much more throughout the series, that Claudia feels inferior to her sister and that she maybe needs to make up for it in, in other ways. As someone who has an older sister who is extremely talented and accomplished, I feel you, Claudia. That's really hard. I weirdly have such clear memories of Janine. I don't know if it was from the movie or from the book, but when I went back to it, I all of a sudden it came back to me. I was like, Janine, the older sister, she's so smart. She corrects everybody. And it's one of those like weird perspective shifts where in my head, she was so much older than Claudia. Like I was like, oh, maybe she's like an 18 or 20-year-old sister. When I was little and I read this book, 15 was really old. And now at 28 to read about this character who's only 15 and who is so smart and like so sophisticated in so many ways felt very confusing when I was a kid. So that was like interesting to like revisit that dynamic. And as the older sister in my family, that's like a good perspective for me. Thank you. (laughs) So Marianne is the third. I think the most important setup on this is that my sense from the beginning and kind of all the way through is that it's sort of Christy and Marianne, their besties, and then the rest of the club kind of falls into place. You got that impression as well? Yeah, definitely. And their next door neighbors or, you know, they live directly across the street from each other. They've been best friends since they were very little. And Claudia, as we mentioned, was sort of part of their group before and grew apart as she fell more in love with boys and makeup, as all girls do in middle school. False. But that's the impression that a lot of pop culture would uh, have us believe. Anyway, Marianne is, like, shy and quiet. She wears plaid skirts. And she has this very strict father um, who I would say was like the only character in the book that really bugged me. Mm, How come? The language around it. And I understand that in the context of this book, the idea of like, my dad isn't letting me do anything or my dad won't let me spend my money. Like that's all about being a strict parent. But I think the way that we can't help but read things now as adult women looking for really empowering books for young girls to read it's upsetting that like that's the tone, not necessarily this like kind and loving sort of overprotection. It's this very like rule driven. This is what you can and can't do. The fact that she earned all of this money babysitting and then her dad was like, oh, well, you can't spend any of it. That pissed me off. Come on, dad. Like, get it together. Um, it was hilarious because he, she was like, okay, we have $12, which is just enough for pizza. And I was like, A, what year was this written in? Yeah. 1986 when I checked. Like, what in what world is pizza one pizza $12? But I guess 1986 and maybe not in New York where mm-hmm. you and I both live. And then I was like, okay, so that means that she made $3 from her babysitting job. Like, oh God, you poor girls. And then she was like, my dad wants me to put this in my college fund. And I'm like, $3 is not going to make a dent in your college fund, sweetie. So like, spend it on pizza. Yeah, dad needs to get a grip because if he's pinching pennies to that level, then like we need a new plan to get Marianne to college. Mm -hmm. It's not going to work. I liked Marianne outside of her dad and sort of being Christy's sidekick. I would say like her plot line was probably the quietest for me. Yeah, she, she flourished in the next in you know books after this one this is not where she shines yeah well Marianne will have her time next is Stacy McGill who is our like New York pal and I think she's a really interesting character my first impression of her was not great because I think I was like siding with Christy who is obviously suspicious of her coming into the group is that how you felt too Yes, I totally agree. And Stacy's character, like as soon as she's introduced, it comes up that she is on a diet. They offer her candy and she's like, oh no, I'm on a diet. And 
Oh, that just sucks. Um, I mean, it sucks because like 12 year old girls shouldn't be on diets and she's so clearly uncomfortable around food and multiple scenes. Um, and we, like I said, we find out later that she has diabetes, but as a way to introduce a character, I think it's confusing for the reader because she's also pegged as like a cool girl and you don't want to show that like cool girl, like in order to be cool, you have to diet. Yeah, and I think I was, like, so obsessed with that part of her character that every time she would show up in a scene, all I could do was pay attention to her cues about food that I, like, almost tuned out anything else about her. Yeah, it was heavy-handed. It was heavy-handed, and I think in the end, like, it ends up being an interesting educational method of, like, this is something called diabetes, and it's confusing, and you might not know what it is when you see your friend who can't eat candy, but in the moment, it felt a little bit confusing and the dieting obviously is like really problematic for young girls so I didn't love that although in the end like I guess the fact that it was used to teach kids about diabetes is a good thing yeah and it was I mean it was sweet that her friends didn't want her to feel left out like honestly that showed me more about like Christy and Claudia and Marianne how they were like this is really shitty to say but they were like we'll order you a salad right (laughs) It was like they wanted her to be a part of the group. They didn't want her to, like, feel bad about, quote-unquote, dieting. But, like, I hated that that was part of it, that the food part was uh, mentioned in that. But then when they find out that she has diabetes, they're like, oh, my God, of course we won't offer you candy anymore. And, you know, you don't have to lie to us about that. And I know we learn more about Stacey in other books, but, you know, she was so scared that they weren't going to like her or be friends with her anymore. And I can imagine that, you know, if you're reading that and maybe you're a kid who has diabetes or some other form of chronic illness and you read that these cool girls are like very into being friends with somebody who like might need insulin is is probably a very exciting, exciting moment for you. It made me so sad that she came from a place where kids were mean to her about mm-hmm. it. And I think is such a symbol of like how far we've come in kids books because at least in the middle grade in the YA that I've read in the last few years, like having diabetes would not be this huge bomb to drop. Um, well, I also wonder if it's because the technology has changed so much. Like this was written in 1986 and, you know, I'm sure that I honestly, I don't know a ton about diabetes medication for children, but I'm, I'm sure that it's, you know, much easier to deal with on a day-to-day basis and maybe doesn't take over your life in some ways that it did when this book came out. That's a really interesting point and probably very true. I just, I think I was so, I'm so used to reading these like grittier, darker books for kids now that I was, I was just assuming that she had an eating disorder because that's <laughs> what we're used to at this point. And when I was a kid, a, I probably didn't know what anorexia or diabetes was. So I didn't really know what I was looking for. But I do think like the perspective shift is interesting. It just makes me sad that in 1986, there's this character who felt like she'd been tormented by her classmates about something that literally had nothing to do with her. And that was actually a really unfortunate illness that she was dealing with. So um, I was happy to see her be accepted by her new friends. And I think one of the best parts about this book is it's just like so pro-female friendship. They all come together and it doesn't really seem to matter what comes up. There are a few skirmishes about who gets which jobs and Christy is rubbed the wrong way a few times because the other girls take her jobs and then there's this whole blow up at the end about Stacy and going to New York but like it always seems to end up that they come together and they move past it and that's refreshing when so many other books written for this age group come down to these petty fights and and that sort of thing I really like that about this book. Yeah, I thought this plot and the story arc were great. Like it had like such a, you know, interesting climax where they fought about something and then it got resolved and they had like a great sleepover and it ended on, you know, obviously a very happy and exciting note. But um, the fights they had were like legitimate, you know, arguments that regular adults would have too. And I love seeing authors who portray kids as real people, not just what a trope of like what you think that they might be because they're young. It did make me laugh that the high stress climax part of the book was about like who was and wasn't coming to the pizza party. Um, I know. <laughs> right. Like in the end, it ended up being a little bit more significant, obviously, because we found out that Stacy's absence was like a little bit more of a thing than we thought it was. But I loved that, like, there was a whole chapter where it, it felt like everything was falling apart because Christy couldn't get her act together on who was coming to the pizza party. I know. But that made me think about all of the sleepovers and parties that I went to as a kid where it was like so dramatic of like who's coming, like whose mom is going to be able to drop them off and like how are we going to get there and like what are we going to eat and what are we going to drink and like 
what what games are we going to play? What movie are we going to watch? And it at the time, like those were the most important things in the world to me. And they seemed so stressful. And like if something if I was hosting a slumber party and something went wrong, like it was very upsetting. <laughs> Devastating. I agree. So did you have a favorite of the four or are, are you is it like a hybrid situation? I think Christy is my favorite probably because we were just in her brain and experiencing things through her perspective. Um, I also just really liked her outlook on her brothers and she seemed really responsible and um, the way that she was able to change her mind about Watson's kids was really sweet. I really loved that. I think I'm a little Christy. I'm Christy with a little Claudia. How about you? I think I'm a 50-50 split between Christy and Marianne, I would say. Mm. because, well, in the same way that I've often said that I have, like, a little bit of Charlotte in me, and I think Charlotte is the Marianne equivalent here. Let's just do that. So okay. Charlotte, Marianne. Right. Christy Carey. Oh, easily. I think Samantha is Stacy. Stacy is Samantha. Mm. But then Miranda would be Claudia. I'm not sure if that's Ooh. right. Yeah, those maybe, two are the hard ones. Maybe Stacy is Miranda. What if, could Claudia be Carrie? No. Well, here's the the thing. The The fashion. fashion. The tricky thing is Miranda because everybody wants to shit on Miranda all the time, but Miranda is actually awesome and gets so many things done. And so maybe Christy is Miranda and we just don't want to admit it. Mm. So Miranda, Christy, Samantha, Stacy, Carrie, Claudia. I I think that sounds good. I think we nailed it. I think that's what I would go with for sure. Okay. Yeah, I feel good about that. So, So that makes me... A mix of Marianne dash Charlotte, Christy slash Miranda. This is so fucking confusing, but I think that makes sense to me. I like that. Yeah. And that makes me a little bit of a Claudia Christy. Claudia. It's so confusing. <laughs> Claudia Carrie slash Miranda Christy. Rock on. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe maybe I'll make us a little chart for the show notes because I think people are going to want to like know exactly what we're talking about. I know. And I feel like people are going to have pretty strong opinions about this. I agree. As they should. This is very important stuff. Mm, a thousand percent. Interestingly about Christy, I found a quote from Anne M. Martin herself, who is actually noted like multiple times saying that she's Marianne, like she is the most similar to Marianne. She's apparently painfully shy, but she told the New Yorker last year that in her head, Christy grows up to be the second female president of the United States because she's just like Hillary, but younger. Oh, I love that. Love that. Anne, thank you for that information. I know. I sort of want Anne to tell us what she expects everybody to end up doing. I wonder if there's a world in which she creates a babysitter's club now. Mm. Like, where where are they now? Like I, they that did, is something that Netflix would eat up in a second. They would. Like, what well, kind of what they did Heard with the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants book. They sort of, like, fast-forwarded that. I would love to see where these four ended up. It could be, like, I mean, I'm just picturing Now and Then, which is, like, my favorite movie. And you have all the gals who are, like, you know, their younger selves and then their older selves. And I feel like I feel like there's something there that Anne could work with. Anne, are you listening? Please do this. And we would love to, A, have you on the podcast and, B, just have you do this for us because that would be really nice of you. Especially because there were so many books in the series. There's something like, you know, with all of the sub-series and all of the spinoffs, there's almost like 300 titles in the Babysitter's Club universe. And it's like 180 million copies sold, which is insane. Oh my God, rock on, and She wrote the vast majority of like the core Babysitter's Club novels. Like there were mysteries and Little Sisters books. And there were so many like sub-series, but she did almost all of the like original books. So anybody who thinks that it's a ghostwriter, it's not. It was Anne herself. And it was only going to be four books to begin with. And then all of a sudden it like grew and grew and grew and grew because it was so successful. And now here we are, which is incredibly impressive. And she did a great job. Was babysitting a thing for you? Because I thought it was interesting that the reason this whole thing started was because Anne's editor had seen the success of another book about babysitting. And she was like, we have to get on this. Let's make a series. And she tasked it to Anne to come up with like a whole plot and all these characters. And that's what started this whole thing. Babysitting was not a huge part of my life growing up. And I'm wondering if that is like sort of a function of the time or I just missed this whole thing entirely. Did you babysit? Did your friends? No. (laughs) I think you like I know a couple people who were like I was a babysitting person like our mutual friend Maddie. Yes. Maddie Boardman. Shout out to you. Babysat like forever. I didn't know that about her. Maddie, I'm sure you're a great babysitter. (laughs) Um, but I think I babysat 
one time and none of my friends really did either um my sister babysat a little bit but I don't know about you but I live I grew up in Long Island um and I lived in it my parents live in a neighborhood that is not like walkable like nobody rode their bikes places if I were to babysit the parents would have to pick me up and and drive me drop me off um and my babysitters when my parents like would go out to the movies or something was always a high school aged girl from the temple that I went to, like my Jewish synagogue. That's how we found our babysitters. We had like two or three who would like come over and watch us on Friday nights while my parents went out to the movies. Honestly, 12 years old seems like pretty young to be a babysitter. Like I don't think I was left alone until I was in high school. Yeah, they seemed really young. And maybe, I mean, again, they sort of keep these early hours. None of them are allowed to stay out late. I think Stacy's maybe allowed to babysit until like 10, and that's a huge deal. So I guess the fact that they're like, they have these curfews, and they're all close to home, I guess that makes it okay for them to be younger. But I never had a babysitter who was 12 or 13. It was usually, my mom worked in higher education, so she had a lot of college students working for her. And those were the people that always ended up being my babysitters, which was so cool because I got to like pal around with these college girls. Yeah, that sounds really fun. Yeah, also maybe the 80s, you know, things were different back then. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. Like, was this just something so of the 80s? Babysitting was like the thing to these girls. And obviously that is necessary for the setup of the book. But I also feel like I grew up hearing older kids talk about babysitting and it just like never happened for me. In this book, they talk about it like it's a given that everybody's going to babysit. There's this kind of whole culture around it. There's a whole language around it. They're like, oh, who are you sitting for tonight? Oh, sorry, I'm over at this person's house right now. It's like assumed that if you're not at school or at home with your parents, you're babysitting, which kind of cracked me up because that was just so not my experience or the experience of anybody that I knew. Not mine either. I literally just learned how to change a diaper like a month ago because our our other mutual friend Case Wickman just had a child and her baby is adorable. But like I babysat for her child once and that's when I learned how to change a diaper. <laughs> yeah, we, we apparently missed this whole trend. So if anybody knows if that's because it was an 80s thing or if maybe nobody wanted Jess or I to babysit for their kid, if you could let us know about that, that would probably be helpful. Yeah, that sounds great. So I want to dig in a little bit to Christy's relationship with her mom and her mom's boyfriend because I think there's a lot there. Christy's mom is awesome. I think she is like a kick-ass single mom. There's a passage in the book where Christy talks about how she has to work so hard to like support the family because the dad left and she's really proud of it. Like she talks about how she doesn't complain and it like makes her feel good to be able to work And she, like, rallies her kids to help with the youngest son. Like, there's a a schedule where, like, Christy watches the little brother one night and then each of the older brothers watches him another night. This family really is functioning really well. And as somebody whose parents were divorced very young, like, I loved this portrayal of a family that wasn't totally broken by divorce. This was, in some ways, a great situation for them. Everybody was happier and, like... Christy's mom figured it out. Christy was generally a happy kid. I thought that was a really great portrayal of of a family. Totally. And now probably because we're closer to Christy's mom's age than we are Christy's age. Ugh. I was thinking about like, I know. That's so gross. <laughs> I was thinking about like, I wonder what her inner monologue is like. The fact that Christy was like, my mom has it all figured out and she is so proud of the work that she does and she's doing such a good job raising us. In my head, I was like, oh God, Christy's mom's inner monologue is probably like, everything is terrible and I'm a mess and I'm not doing everything well enough and like everything sucks and my kids probably hate me. And I'm, I hope, you know, Christy, they do seem to have a nice relationship and and I hope she um I I hope this fictional mom cuts herself a little slack (laughs) yeah I think you're probably right there's probably part of her that feels like she hasn't showered in a week and never gets to sleep because she is also a really good mom like we hear a lot about how hard she works but she also spends like individual time with each of her kids at the end of the night and she seems to really listen to Christy which That's been another theme of a lot of the books that I've been reading for the show lately is parents just not taking their kids seriously. And Christy doesn't have a perfect relationship with her mom, but it does seem like they're pretty respectful of each other. And that was refreshing. I know. I loved when they got into a fight and Christy left her a note that was just like, I'm really sorry. Like, I love you, mom. And then her mom left her a note that was like, I love you, too. That was so my move. To leave a note when you, when you do something bad. <laughs> yeah, and I can't remember if maybe I learned it from Christy's playbook. I might have, but that was definitely my move for like most of middle school and high school because I just don't like to talk to people when I'm upset, and I hate when my mom's mad at me, and so I would like slide the note under the door and then just like hope for the best the next morning. 
I wonder if that is now transferred to like text messaging. Cause I definitely like send major apologies via text that are super long, like novel length text. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. Yeah. There's something very melodramatic about the like lined notebook paper under the door thing. And I remember just thinking like, mom will get this and she'll know that I love her. It was, it was a very dramatic thing, but I took it, I took it from Christy and it usually worked. So Christy's mom is dating this guy named Watson who seems awesome. Watson seems great. And even Christy admits that he's like a really good guy, even though at the beginning of the book, she, uh, they, they have a, a difficult relationship, a challenging relationship. Yeah. It's funny. Cause it's sort of unclear why, why she's allowing this divide to exist between them. It almost just seems like she loves that it's her mom and her brothers and her against the world. She doesn't really have any reason to dislike Watson. She just like doesn't want to choose to like him. Yeah. I think it's also just like you're 12 years old and the world is chaos and you change is really, really hard and scary. And she probably just doesn't want anything to change. I love when she boycotted the Chinese food. I know because it sounded really good and she just like nibbled on a sad PB&J. That's also kind of like the note paper under the door, like melodrama move. It's fine. I'll just eat the sandwich. And then everybody else around you is like indulging on egg rolls and lo mein and you're like, oh, my stomach hurts. I want it so bad. (laughs) I just loved that her mom was patient with her through all of that though. Like I think she was the right mix of frustrated with her, but also understanding the situation. And one of the things that I thought was really cool about how it all played out was that in the end of the book, Christy comes around to her mom's relationship with Watson, but she had to come to it herself. And I think there are so many books where the instructions to the kids are like so heavy handed and it's like, you have to learn to do this the right way or you need to learn to accept this. And I really enjoyed that the arc was that like she had to ease into the situation by herself. She had to spend more time with Watson. She had to be put in a situation where she had to go babysit for Watson's kids and understand that like there's nothing wrong with them. And and once she figured that out for herself, she was able to like jump on board with the rest of the family. And it actually seems like they're going to be a fun family. I know. Well, Going back to, like, the show and the movie and stuff, as soon as they mentioned Watson's kids, I was like, oh, right, Christy's part of this, like, massive extended family. And I, like, really remember one specific episode where they, like, start a summer camp and, like, bring all the kids together and, like, they're all counselors at, like, the Babysitter's Club summer camp. Oh, I remember that. I must have seen remember that episode. Remember that? Maybe that was- yeah. I need to do a refresh, but um, I remember like Watson's kids specifically like hanging out with like David Michael and like all of these other like kids in the neighborhood. Well, and again, like I loved the frankness of Watson's kids about their parents being divorced. Karen at one point just says like, oh, we're divorced. And I thought that was like such a funny way to put it. Like, especially in the 80s, I would think that that's just not the way that young kids talked about their parents not being together. And there's this young kid just kind of like sharing it very openly with people. And there was not enough of that in books in the 80s and 90s, I don't think. So definitely shout out to Ann Martin for giving all of us kids of divorce a template for talking about it in a way that didn't feel weird or scary. Totally. Before her time. In so many ways. We love you, Anne. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit more about this sense of excitement of starting a business, which I appreciate so much more now reading it as an adult. And this book really made me think of, and I don't know if you were like an American Girl library Kid. Uh, of course, Molly forever. Oh, forever. But I also was really into their How to Start a Business book. Did you have that one? No. Oh. More. I, I was very into it. I think it was probably like disintegrating. I never actually started a business. I think I like drew up a lot of business plans. Had a whole notebook of them. But it was basically like this instruction book with all of the fun like American Girl style illustrations with ideas about like how to start a lemonade stand and how to be a babysitter and like all the tips about how to organize your money and how to like bring your friends in. So I like a combination of books like this, Babysitter's Club, and then the American Girl, How to Make Money or How to Start a Business book. I was like very enamored with the idea of being an entrepreneur, even though I didn't know what that was. I love that. I mean, as an editor at Cosmo right now who covers career and finance, I literally wrote an eight-page guide to how to start a business this year, and it's really freaking hard. And the people that I talked to were like, you need so much grit and money and marketing campaigns and people. You know, they make it seem so, so, so hard, but what we did at Cosmo was distilled it to like, 
you need a great idea and you need motivation and like here are the steps in order to do this. And while reading the babysitters club, obviously I thought about this package that we did, but I was also thinking about the way that we talk about it with young girls and it just doesn't have to be that hard. Christy literally outlined a business plan that was like half a page long and it was like, you know, here's our marketing plan and here are the other people that are going to be involved and here's how we're going to do it. And obviously starting a babysitters club is really different than starting Uber, but, um, (laughs) but giving, young girls, the principles in order to do that is so cool and so important. And I think that's like totally something that I missed as a kid. Like I didn't realize that that's what they were trying to do, which means that they were doing it really, really well. Yeah. And I think there's a simplicity to it. Like you said in this book that if it were to be rewritten now, it would be a very different story. Like the fact that they don't have social media, the fact that they're not dealing with like all of these other platforms on which to advertise themselves, literally like they just decided they were going to be in the same room at a certain time of the week with a landline. And there's a beauty to that. And it's so well executed, but it's so of the time too. And it would be interesting to see. And I don't know if there are any books or series for kids that have been written more recently that are about starting a business or bringing a group of friends together to solve a problem in your community. But it would be interesting to see if the world being so much more complicated would be able to, like, could you distill our more complicated world into a book like this that would make starting a business seem easy? I hope so, because it feels really good to read a book like this and to feel like kids can be empowered in some way, no matter what time they're living. Totally. It's like the Influencers Marketing Club. (laughs) Yeah. The Snapchat Filter Creator Club. Yeah, the Sugar Bear Hair Club. Oh my God. Ban Sugar Bear Hair. (laughs) Forever. And also, like, can we talk about the landlines in the book? I just picture them all with like either hamburger phones from Juno or like those giant um, clear phones where you can kind of see like the colorful workings inside. Like that was currency as a kid. Like if you had one of those and we grew up in the 90s, but if you had one of those, you were cool. I did not have one of those. No, I didn't even have my own phone line. And I think Claudia probably had one of those. Do you remember? Did she have one of those in the movie? Was it like a cool phone? I think so. But I mean, dear listeners, please correct us if I'm wrong. But she definitely had like a cool bedroom. And the fact that she had a phone line was a big deal. And that was the reason she became vice president. Because she had the phone line. Yeah. Respect. Respect. But also how funny was it when she like, she got some job that Christy usually gets just because like it's her phone line. And Christy was like, damn it, this was not my best plan. Yeah. And Christy was like, I appointed her vice president because I assumed she was going to have to work overtime because she's the one with the phone. These are the problems that I wish that I had. I also, <laughs> I just loved all the phone stuff. I loved when Christy has to call, I think she has to call Stacy's house. The whole idea of like introducing herself to Stacy's mom so that she could then talk to Stacy and then it being very obvious that like Stacy was pretending not to be home. But I just remember that fear of having to call somebody's house, somebody whose mom you didn't know or whose mom you didn't know very well and having to like explain yourself and that it just took me back to that time and I loved like those moments so much. Oh my God, I know. It's like so awkward. It's like, hi, um, this is Jessica. Um, I'm friends with your kid and maybe you don't know who I am, but like, please let me talk to her. I need the math homework. <laughs> yeah, especially when it's homework because you were like, I actually need to talk to your kid. So could you please so just awkward. like not ask me any more questions about where my mom is? Oh my God. The good thing is that like kids these days like definitely don't talk to their friends' parents on the phone ever or their friends. <laughs> right. They just Snapchat them and there's so many other problems associated with that. Oh, my God. Would you recommend this book to other women that grew up in the 90s? Like, is this something that you would say is, like, worth a reread? You said you read it in a few hours. Do you think people would appreciate it on a second visit as, like, a quick little diversion? I think it's fun. I think it's – honestly, I don't think I'll, like, go back and reread the entire series right now. I think if someone was, like, I need something that's, like, very nostalgia-inducing and fun and – I want a refresh of what it's like to feel like a 12 year old, um, in the eighties, I guess like, sure. Yes. But no, I mean, I'm a huge fan of YA books as you know, and I think there are so many other YA books that actually feel like they would be useful to a 20 something or a 30 something year old woman. Um, this one is really, really, really made for young, young, young girls as it should be. And I, but no, But I would recommend it to, like, any kid between the ages of, like, 7 and 12, for sure. Yeah, it's perfect for its audience. I agree. Do you think there's anything problematic about it, looking at it now in 2018? 
Um, I think, I mean, we talked about the food stuff, but honestly, I think it's pretty progressive. The fact that like these four girls are starting a business and they talk about so many, so many things that aren't about young boys is really cool. Um, and I think it plays its family dynamics really well. I don't know. Do you find anything problematic? I don't think so. And honestly, I've become like quite the devil's advocate of, uh, eighties and nineties kids books. And I'm, there's not much here to pick apart, which was like lovely. I was I was a little nervous about this one. I, I did not want to be disappointed by it because I was having trouble thinking about what could be problematic. And I was kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop with Marianne's dad because I sort of bristled at his language so early on and like this whole idea of him being so strict and not letting her do things. And I was like relieved that that didn't come to pass. And I also just think it's an indication of like how sensitive I've become in reading all of these like more problematic books. Like I was just waiting for him to become this terrible character. And while I still don't love, you know, how that all played out, he was just a strict dad. And, and a lot of kids that I knew growing up had to deal with strict dads. And so that's an okay thing for kids to read about since it didn't become something more than that. That's like, I mean, when, when you watch like a lot of like Law & Order SVU or like, you know, movies that involved like car crashes. Every time you see someone who either like is who who interacts with somebody a certain way, you're like, oh, they're going to get sexually assaulted in the in this scene, and like they often don't. Or like with the car crashes, it's like, oh, you're you're driving and the camera's like shooting at you a certain way, like you're totally going to get in a car crash. But when you don't, it's it's kind of like a relief. It's a sigh of relief where you're like, oh, right, you don't have to throw like really, really, really tough stuff in just to throw stuff in if it doesn't like move the plot along. And and that's what I loved about this. Like it didn't like play with these girls in any ways that were dangerous just for the sake of being dangerous. Yeah. And again, I think it's a sign of what we're used to now. YA books, middle grade books even are grittier and we're used to seeing like deeper levels of drama and abuse sometimes. And there's something like beautifully boring about these books. These girls have problems, but they're always solved in the end. Like every, there's no problem really, at least in this first book of the series. And I can't remember in any of the other books either, like all the problems are fixable, which is nice. You go through sort of this like very light drama, a very like gentle roller coaster of emotions. And then at the end, everything's better and everybody's happy. So it's lovely to read a book like that every once in a while and to know that books like that are still on shelves, even if they were written 30 years ago. Totally. It's exciting. Um, so did rereading this book make you love the book even more or did you hate it? I think oh, I kind of know the answer to this question. I but it. Um, I mean, it's so tender. It's very sweet. It, I definitely didn't hate it. Um, I think if I ever have a daughter of my own, I would certainly like give her a bunch of these and be like, go forth and read and like learn about these great girls doing great things. Go start a business. Go start a business. How about you? Oh, I think I loved it more. I was not any sort of like a diehard fan as a kid. I read every series. Like I think I was just the kid that would go to the bookstore and like whatever books were available from whatever series that I'd started, I would grab them. So I don't know that I had any fonder memories of the Babysitter's Club than I did Sweet Valley or the Saddle Club or like any of those others. So I think being able to step back and understand what was really happening in terms of them solving problems and being these very capable young women starting a business, declaring themselves as individuals and being like four very distinct personalities, that's really cool. And so having the perspective of some extra years and and realizing that that's unique to a lot of these series, I think I love it more for sure. Amen. Thanks, Anne. I think we just have to say a big... Thanks, Anne. Thanks, Anne. Thanks, Anne and Martin for giving us the Babysitter's Club. You rule. Now that we've wrapped up our convo about BSC, which apparently is like the go-to abbreviation. I never called it BSC, but it's all over the internet. I'd love if you could share, and I'm sure you have some good recommendations. Is there a book that you've read recently or that you're reading now that you would recommend to listeners? Um, well, I just read We Were Liars, which is so good. It is, I mean, it is, a, it's a YA book um, about a group, a really tight-knit group of young kids who spend every summer together on an island in New England and um, disaster strikes and it's it's chaotic and beautifully written and extremely affecting so I highly recommend that what else did I have I read lately I just read Hey Ladies which is the best do you know about this I just bought it yesterday because we're going to Mexico next week and I decided that it's the perfect vacation read 
Oh, it is. It's um, Michelle Markowitz and Caroline Moss, who are two fabulous writers and humorists, had this great, great column on the toast um, where they acted like, you know, I think it's like eight different friends um, and they all have different personalities and they send each other, you know, hey, ladies, emails and texts um, trying to plan a wedding in the book. And it is it is extraordinary. And then I also just read Jessica Knowles, The Favorite Sister, which I loved. Um, Lucky's Girl Alive was like one of my favorite books of the past couple of years. Um, and her follow-up is just as delicious and super, super entertaining if you're into re- reality TV. So highly recommend. That's the other one that I was going to pick up for our trip because I read her first book on our honeymoon. And this is now like our second anniversary trip. So I was like, I read that book in maybe a day on our last vacation, so I would like to revisit her next. And um, I loved, I loved Luckiest Girl Alive too. It blew my expectations entirely. It's so good. Um, and then, you know, as an editor at Cosmo, one of the the major perks that that I have is that um, we get books early. Like we read, you know, arcs all the time. Um, and I just read um, Megan Abbott's new book. One of my favorite. Um, novelist and she's written, you know, Dare Me and The Fever and You Will Know Me. And um, she just writes female friendships so amazingly with like such precise, like searing detail um, in high school and out like once you're an older woman. And um, they're so scary and just fantastic. Give me your hand. And it's amazing. It's so good. Those all sound great. I'm going to include links to them in the show notes so that all you listeners can grab a copy. I'll second Jess's plug for We Were Liars. I read that book very early when it came out because I was working in publishing, in kids publishing um, when it was first released. And that was like the book in-house and everybody was freaking out about it for good reason. It's it's amazing. And I feel like this book is so overused, but it's like truly haunting in all the best possible ways. It is so good. There are some really amazing YA out there right now. Um, I just also read Mary H.K. Choi's book, um, Emergency Contact. It has like that beautiful rose quartz cover. Um, and that's about like a 19 year old and the guy that she meets and they have this like exquisite relationship through text messaging. Um, and it's just like a great YA book of this era. I also recommend that one. So many good ones out there. Well, it's been so fun talking to like a true YA fan. You really know your stuff. And I'm so (laughs) grateful that you came by to talk about babysitters club with me. It was so fun. Oh my God. Thanks. This was the best. I would come back anytime. And I want, now I like want to revisit so many of the other books from my childhood. Like, you know, I heard that, I heard that another one of your episodes is about sloppy first, which is like the dream book that I reread. I think I still have my copy of my parents' house, um, with like all of the pages dog-eared and, you know, weathered from many, many years of reading. Um, but now I want to go back to like all my favorites. So this was a blast. Absolutely. Well, maybe we'll have you back sometime. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.